Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to do that in the spheres and the worlds of comedy, of music, of sports, of pastors, of books, leadership, uh, as I said already. And and today I'm really excited to have a guy I feel like I kind of know through some other people and to go off on a tangent on his resume, we'd be here all day. He's done some incredible stuff, but uh, I have with us today author, great guest on many of podcasts, growing leaders. He's known a lot to many people by having done a lot of work with uh, John Maxwell, but uh, welcome today, Tim Elmore. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be with you. So I'm supposed to ask you out of the gate, I was told to ask you this question. Who is the greatest intern you have ever had? <laughs> oh, no doubt it's Drew Flam. No doubt at all. Wow. Did you how did you have to think about that? Did you pray about it? Did did you just keep up with him and you're like, he's now president of a university? I better say Drew Flam. How'd yeah. that work out? Yeah, it, no, didn't have to think twice about it. No, Drew really was about two decades ago, a great young leader. And I think he had just gotten done with Cedarville University. And and now, yeah, president of Grace College, just really proud of him. And it's fun. I texted him as soon as I found out. And, you know, he still talks with such respect, just probably because I'm just old now. That's <laughs> that's probably the thing. Yeah. But anyway, so proud of him for what he's accomplished and what he's doing now. So tell me, Tim, we, he, so he was a board member of mine for several years. We're, we're still very close. Uh, my middle son, Ethan, probably all things being equal, right programs fall into place. Grace is probably leader in a clubhouse. My wife and I and probably two of our kids are going up there uh, first week in November to his installation. What did you see in Drew back then? Like, you know, he's obviously young. What did you see in him that was raw? What did you see in him that you're like, yeah, this guy's probably going to be doing something? Yeah, I, I think it was qualities as much as anything else. Um, I mean, I didn't know his IQ, didn't know his talent, <laughs> but I saw, um, I saw humility. Mm. He was so open to learning and to admit that he's flawed and still needs to learn, uh, as we all need to. The second one was respect. He he communicated great respect to every mm. team member, whether they were under his care or over charge of him. But then the last one was, I, I think, would be curiosity. He was very curious to learn, and he would ask lots of questions. How did you start this? And how come mm. you do this now? And why is this in place? And of course, he's now leading an institution, and I'm hoping some of those answers are helpful. But I love that respect, humility, and curiosity were just that draws me to any young college age student that um, you know comes on our team. Sure. So when he asked me to ask you that question about best intern, how many young folks interns have you had over your career? Would you guess? Oh my God, hundreds. Hundreds. Um, I started my career over 40 years ago. So I've been around a few times, uh, around the block a few times. 
so we yeah if it probably oh gosh some years we had 11 some years we had nine some years it was less maybe four or five but you know you add that up and it, it'd be a few hundred wow. for sure wow so you you you've been in the Atlanta area, obviously, uh, and a lot of life there. And one of my favorite quotes. I'm a big quote collector. I love the Truett Cathy line about how do you know someone needs encouragement? They're breathing. Yeah. And you seem to me yeah. like the type of guy. And I, I work really hard to try to be this way, but you seem off the charts this way. Like if I were to mention to you five people's names that you know, you would say very specific encouragement. You, you mentioned three things about Drew that would apply to each of those people and you cannot pull them out and take those exact same qualities and phrases and apply them to somebody right. else. Talk about that and how maybe you've developed that or been intentional about that to really see unique specific stuff to anybody that you're connected to. Yeah. You know, Jeff, I think a couple of things come to my mind. I got my mother's temperament. She was an optimist through and through, a woman of faith, hope. She saw the bright side of everything. I joke with her, if she wore the shoes out, the soles out on her shoes, she just figured she's back on her feet again. You know, that sort of a person. So um, I think I got her temperament, which made me, which makes me just believe in people naturally, probably naively. But then um, working under John Maxwell for 20 years, he taught me to be a good finder. Mm. Um, you know, you, you meet people that are fault finders. You know, they yeah. just find something wrong with every, every situation. And um, I think I now have a predisposition, for better or worse, to find something good in a person. And I try to point it out in the first minute, um, whether it's something they're wearing or something they said or, or whatever. So... I don't think I'm brilliant, but I think those two things have really helped me along the way, stay on the bright side of, of life, even when we're living in a very polarized, uncivil era right now in our country. I feel like I can see the, the good in most things. So that's a very interesting thing you just said. You said you try to find something within the first yeah. minute. Yeah. How difficult is that sometimes? Oh, yeah. It can be very difficult because there are people that rub you the wrong way and, and or do something arrogant or off-putting. And so sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to look hard and long. And sometimes you want to make sure your comment is authentic. You know, it's it's not insincere. So sometimes it's just maybe love your tie or whatever. But I think that starts things off on the right foot when you can do that with a new acquaintance. Uh, you know, I just spoke at Live to Lead, uh, the simulcast. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I, I lost count of the number of people I met, but I tried every person wow. that day something they were saying, doing, wearing, or whatever, or something in their past that I knew that I could compliment. Um, so yeah, I think that's important. I think it's especially important for leaders mm -hmm. where people are just hungry to be believed in. And uh, sometimes I think we're onto the next bottom line and we forget to to call attention to those things. So that that's a, that sounds very 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to me. Follow my example as I follow yeah. the example of Christ. Like we can encourage people to follow Tim Elmore based on that quality that you've tried to live out. Can you think back over your life and maybe something more recently? What are maybe, you, you had three things to say about Drew. What are maybe three encouragements, whether it's from different people or the same person that you've gotten over the years where you're like, wow. And it was true. And you're like, I want to hold on to that. What, what are three things maybe people have said to you over the years that you're like, wow. I'll give hard. you something hilarious, Jeff. When I was in college, because my mom and dad taught me to be grateful, I was just grateful for any small thing. You know, 
uh, you know, the, the cafeteria food, which no one liked. I thought that was a pretty good meal, you know? And so I had a, a dorm mate say to me, you'd make a great poor person. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what do you mean by that? But I think he was seeing that I was thankful for little things. And <clears throat> certainly, you know, that would be, I guess, what a poor person would do. So that that's one. I, I feel like I'm I'm told that I'm grateful. And I love that. Once again, mom and dad, I'm mm. telling you, it stuck with me. Number two, I think I hear people say that I'm passionate and I really am, particularly for leadership, particularly for the next generation. Growing leaders is all about investing in the emerging generation of, of leaders and how do we get them ready? So passion would be another one. And then once in a while, I'll hear from people, probably because I've accomplished a few things, that they like the fact that I, I have stayed humble. Mm. Uh, I can't be proud of that. that uh, that's just that's really good stuff i've i can't wait to use that line on someone to say you'd be a great poor person yeah i'm looking for that opportunity it's like it's like a backhanded compliment isn't it i i don't know it's just oh thanks i think yeah well (laughs) i I think there is something to be said for that so tell me this give us tim your three-minute testimony how did you come to christ what was he Mm -hmm. doing to draw you in and you know you to kind of say you were lord and savior yeah well, I grew up in a home that went to church, but I, I would say to people that I met Christ despite the church rather than because mm. of the church, it was a nice social club, you know, that with great potluck dinners, but uh, we didn't really hear the message of the gospel. So, you know, I was part of the youth group, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I met a an individual on my high school campus, public high school campus named Sean Mitchell. And he was leading a Bible study, and I saw his passion, and I wanted that kind of life. And he was passionate about his relationship with God. And then I had a, two high school teachers in that public high school that were Christ followers, Dennis Cook and, and Mr. Mosher, Don Mosher. And both of them were very, very passionate. And I didn't see that yet. I had not seen that in a church. Mm. No, no fault, but just I just didn't see it. So I actually became a Christ follower on a public high school campus with uh, with with individuals who just naturally embodied this life that I wanted to live. And then, of course, I found places to thrive where there was community and people embodied that naturally. So that would be my my quick three minute story of how I met the Lord and and then uh, was able to meet my wife in the church youth group and Pam and I dated for three and a half years and they got married and we have now been married for 41. Wow. Years. Praise God. Yeah. I, lo- I love hearing a public school setting. I uh, I have a long history. I did Young Life for over two decades. And every yeah. time I drive by a school, I'm I'm captured by three buildings. I always tell three spaces. I'm I'm captured by schools. I'm captured by churches and cemeteries. In fact, I got here a little early today and there's a cemetery uh, from the radio station about uh, half a mile up. And I went and took a walk around the cemetery. And, and uh, so anytime I hear a school testimony about someone coming to Christ, it it just does my heart really good. So, Tim, one of the things I would say about you, just again, I don't I don't know you, but I feel like there's a bit of a mentoring thing. By the way, your content on Right Now Media is off the charts. I use Right Now Media quite a bit. The best content on there is yours. 
never said that to anybody else. Wow. So uh, I love your, you know, you, you'll have these five minute little videos and you're in the right location and you're talking about whether it's habitudes or some other good stuff. But um, the thing I, I, I'm so impressed by with you is you just have this, and you kind of alluded to it, just kind of this unquenchable desire to learn, to grow. And you just want to, you know, fill every ounce of your body, your mind, your spirit with growth, development, growing in Christ, leadership, you name it. When did that get triggered into you? Was there, a, I mean, it sounds like your parents have a lot to do with who you are, but at what point did you just yeah. say, I'm a learner beyond a classroom? Yeah, I, I think that was mostly due, you know, you and I both would say we have inputs from individuals that did certain things for us. This was a John Maxwell thing. Um, I saw when he hired me nearly 40 years ago, that I led the way in my department. We we grew faster, generated more people volunteering, more revenue, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm 23 and, I, and I'm leading the heap. But then I saw, Jeff, how quickly you can fall behind. Mm. And I did not want to fall behind. You know, the world is changing rapidly. That's a cliche, but it is. And so under John, I thought, if I don't stay hungry, I will not lead. I'll be a good follower maybe, but I won't be a leader. So part of, of being a leader is continuing to grow uh, and continuing to learn. Leaders are readers. And um, I, I just have, because of John, I just started to have it. I'm, I read two books a month. I'm not a fast reader, but I can get to two books a month if I read 30 minutes a day. I listen to about 11 podcasts and uh, I subscribe to several magazines. You know what I love about magazines? They are usually books a year ahead of time. You know, the author wow. will produce some, an article and then it comes out, you know, That's it takes a while to publish a book, but you got the freshest thinking in a, in a periodical or a magazine. So I, I still subscribe to those, wow. but that keeps me learning and in a mode of operation, a routine, if you will, of stretching and growing and thinking new thoughts. Wow. And it has always served me well. Wow. Absolutely. So Tim, what are the other 10 podcasts you listen to? <laughs> I'll go through a few of them. Um, I love Hidden Brain from NPR. That just always stimulates me psychologically. I love Simon Sinek's podcast okay. very, very much. Stephen Mansfield has a great he one. Does. He's out of Nashville. He's a good friend. Andy Stanley. I love Andy. He's a dear friend. We meet for lunch and I attend his church. North Point is just phenomenal. And he's a teaching machine. I think you would agree. Yeah. He's, he's just a machine with, with, uh, with good content. So those would be some, but you know what? I love something else out. One thing I do that might be helpful to your listeners every year in January, I choose five or six issues that mm -hmm. I want to grow in that next year. Uh, and, and then I choose individuals that are masters of those issues. <sighs> so I don't try to find one Socrates or Moses. I find a focus mentor, a communication mentor, a leadership mentor, a financial investment mentor. Uh, one year I had a negotiation, man, I want to be a better negotiator. And I find men or women that I take to breakfast. I have a pad of paper. I ask them questions and I grow. And that has been a great habit to just stay on top of things, especially if you don't feel like you're a great reader, uh, it, meeting with people. Oh my gosh, it's, it's fabulous. And you not only catch, uh, the what, but you catch the how mm. they say something. 
So um, those have those have been habits that have really, really served me well. I really hope people take note of that. I know I'm taking note of that. I love the idea of doing it in January. Of course, you yeah. know, is it well, Maxwell tells a story in one of his books. I think it's one of his first ones about when he graduated from. Uh, well, now it's called I have friends there at Ohio Christian University, yeah. formerly Circleville. Yeah. He reached out to 10 people he wanted to connect with. Some of them were pretty big name, high profile. And I think he said almost every one of them met with him. And he made it easy. I tell that yeah. story often. Tell people I've found much like how easy you made this podcast to be. I reached out to you, my friend Tony Miltenberger. You were on his podcast. Drew knows you. Rex Brooking, who runs a Chick Fil A, has used your material over and over. You were pretty easy to connect with. And there's a lot to be said about that. So I hope people write that down and do something with it. So you've referred to John Maxwell. Like I said, most people identify you two together on some level. If he never entered your life. What would you be like today without John Maxwell ever having been in your life? Oh my gosh. I feel like I owe so much to him. I just told him last Friday at the, at the Live to Lead event. Uh, he was kind enough to sit down and just talk to me about my, my newest book, A New Kind of Diversity. And he always tells me how proud he is. He's mm. kind of like the uncle and I'm the nephew, you know, now that it's been four decades. But I, I don't think it's overspeak to say I owe my life to him certainly my career. Um, he gave me opportunities that I, I mean, I think I'm relatively talented, but he just put me in places where I could rise to the occasion. And I did have to rise to the occasion, but, um, oh my goodness, the doors he's opened and the people he's connected me to. Oh, it's just, it's been phenomenal. I don't, I could go on and on and start crying, but he is the most generous person I have ever met. met. And I mean, when I say generous, I mean, giving me things, giving me, you know, money, you know, I re I was just recalling with Doug Carter, a, a fellow uh, colleague, we were out at Pebble Beach. We did a big fundraiser out there and uh, I'm on the 18th green, just shaking hands with people as they finish their, their 18 holes. And it was cold that afternoon. Pebble Beach is in California. It's usually warm, but it was cold. And I was just standing out there without a coat. And I was trying to hide the shivering, but I was shivering. I was shivering. Mm -hmm. Well, John Maxwell comes up and says, where's your coat? I said, oh, I, I didn't bring one, but it's no big deal. He quickly pulls out his credit card, hands it, says, go in that, go in that store up there and get yourself a coat. You know, and so I go up. Now, people might say it's not a big deal. Well, at Pebble Beach, that's an expensive clothing item, mm -hmm. you know? So this was normal for him. So he's not only a good leader, and I know people like his style or don't like his style, but I just owe so much to him because the timeless principles he's lived by have really, really benefited me along the way. And now I get to pass them on to an emerging generation with pictures, with with images, you know, rather than laws. So it's kind of fun. That's so good. You know, I say in my my day job, so I you know do this men's ministry where we connect men to men and men to God. That's why I'm a, I'm also a big fan and we've interacted numerous times. He's come to Springfield, Ohio to speak, speak for me, Stephen Mansfield. And uh, I love his yeah. great man podcast. And he's yeah. been on here recently. And one of the things that I have found in my 15 years of working with men is men are not very self-aware in general. I think a lot of times yeah. that's the number one thing I think I've learned. You seem to me, I don't I probably can't say hundred percent, but you seem very self-aware. Is, is that an issue that we're facing today in, in the culture of men? No doubt about it. Yeah. In fact, it may be the top issue because without self-awareness, you're not going to really be able to grow much, I think. 
If you're not aware of your flaws, if you think you're awesome, if you just believe your mother, you're awesome, you know, you're not going to grow. So uh, this takes me back, by the way, to the first moment in my career when I became self-aware. It was my very first performance evaluation with John Maxwell in 1983. So I'd been with him a little bit of time and he called me in and he was doing a, you know, one of those performance evaluations at the end of the year. And uh, John went on and on and on about the things he he loved about me. And I'm taking notes. You know, this is wonderful. You know, seven things he liked about me. But then after he finished those seven things, he said, now, now you're going to want to work on three things. And I said, beg your pardon. (laughs) I don't think I'd ever heard anybody say I needed to work on something. And he began to point out some items that were so true, but I they were complete blind spots to me. I'll tell you one of them real quick that might be interesting yeah. to listeners. He said, Tim, you need to develop off-the-platform charisma. And I said, what do you mean by that? What's that mean? He said, well, I just made it up. But he said, when I watch you speak, you are just on. You're anointed. It's just amazing. But he said, you walk off the stage. It's like you turn the button off. And, you know, you just want to curl up with a book and be alone. I said, that's because when I get done, I want to curl up with a book and be alone. And John said, you've got to be just as on when you're not on the platform as you are. You know, we believe that. You and I both believe that. But I didn't know it then. I had seen speakers that were just incredible and they were whisked off in their limo after their, you know, big talk at the arena or whatever. So I said, John, how do I learn this? And John said, in a way that only John can say, watch me. And the very next Sunday, I watched this guy walking slowly through the crowd, asking about the dog or the cousin or the daughter or whatever. And he stayed and stayed and stayed. He was the last one out just loving on people. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you thought happened on the platform. You love that guy because he loved you. So anyway, over the years, I'm, I'm not brilliant, but I know I've gotten better. Back when Drew Flam was, was interning with me, if he went on an event with me, he saw me show up 30 minutes ahead of time. And I'm shaking hands and hugging people. And it's not insincere. I really honestly mm. want to know the people I'm about to address. So yeah, those would be those would be the blind spots yeah. I had, especially as I began my career. Well, two, thing, I tried to, uh, two things with that. I think it's I'm not surprised to hear that Maxwell said, watch me in a very self-aware, yeah. honest, humble. Yeah. But I can teach you that yeah. kind of way. But also that uh, uh, he probably needs to say that to a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people. If that's if he was challenging you, I see other people that need that challenge as well. So let's yeah. get John Maxwell into some people's lives that national platform or local. There's some people probably need that. So Tim, yeah. we're going to transfer here a little bit to a little side thing I like to do. And it's kind of a quick, heavy-hitting five fast questions. I call it the rapid five. So what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Oh, gosh. Uh, it has to be popcorn. Still is. I love popcorn. I'm I'm a little addicted to it. So wow. almost every night I have a little popcorn. Is yeah. it is it like good at home or do you have to? Is it ideal the the movie theater popcorn or any kind of popcorn or? Well, I'll eat it at home. I'm pretty indiscriminate. But uh, but you know what? I will, Jeff. I will go to a cinema, walk in, get a bucket of popcorn, and not even see the movie. <laughs> I'm just gonna walk around <laughs> and eat the popcorn. I know I'm kind of an idiot that way, but that's just a. Yeah, it's just a taste I have. That is great. I wish they had coupons for something like that. Feel for you having to pay the burden of the price. I know. For that. Yeah, you're paying seventeen bucks a month for the next three months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need you need like a, a movie pass thing for like popcorn pass or something like that. So yeah, that's what we need. We need that. What yeah. is your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? Oh gosh, 
There's one right now I've given away loads and loads of copies. It's a book by Arthur Brooks called From Strength to Strength. Mm. Arthur led a think tank in Washington, D.C. for years and stopped. And now he teaches at Harvard University. But Arthur Brooks, you know, Strength to Strength, it's really a book anybody can enjoy. You don't have to be a person of faith. But Strength to Strength is from Psalm 84, where the writer writes, they shall go from strength to strength. And he talks about transitioning to the second half of your life and move from strength to strength rather than midlife crises and, and weakness and trying to reinvent yourself and be forever 21. It's just such a good book. So that would be the book I would I would be recommending uh, over and over and over again. I think I just stumbled upon that recently. I haven't read it. But today in one of our locker rooms, which are our small groups, part of our ministry, we spent some time in Psalm 84 and verse 11 and 12 just really hit me hard. Wow. So that, that that's a very appropriate timing of you to say that. So I'm going to, I'm going to be checking that book out as soon as we're done. So here's a question I love and where you've lived and done a lot of life. This will be a, a very appropriate question. So your family, kids, grandkids, whoever it would be lots of people, you're taking a trip and you are driving and you know, the midway point where you plan to stop, but whether it was traffic a bathroom break, whatever, you had to stop sooner than you thought. And you've traveled enough that you probably know all three of these places. You see on this exit sign that you come upon, you see McDonald's, you see Chick-fil-A, and you see In-N-Out Burger. Where would Team Elmore stop? <laughs> well, I, I think tied for first would be Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burger. But because I live in Atlanta, the home of Chick-fil-A headquarters, I, I get a lot of Chick-fil-A. I mean, I, I, I think I keep them in business. So probably In-N-Out Burger would be that rare yeah. thing for me that I, whenever I'm in California, Texas, wherever they are, I usually try to find, uh, find a, an In-N-Out Burger. And then I always look at the bottom of the cup, you know, the Coke cup, because there's always a passage of scripture right there yeah. that you can look at. So that's kind of fun. I've only been able to get it two or three times in my life, so I would say the same thing. We actually are getting our first Chick-fil-A less than a mile from my house probably in the next month or two. And uh, okay. it's funny. In-N-Out is one of those places, and Chick-fil-A a little bit, but In-N-Out, people love it or they think it's highly overrated. Yeah. There is no yeah. in-between. Yeah. So, Tim, it's what's the true. movie that if you were flipping channels and you stumbled across old school and this movie was on, what movie pulls you in and grabs you every time? Oh my gosh, there's a number of them. But uh, if I just had to list one, uh, probably, this is going to surprise you, Schindler's List. Remember that Steven mm -hmm. Spielberg movie? Uh, it's so realistically depicted the horrors of World War II. But, um, you know, this guy named Schindler, who was really a mercenary, he was, he was into making money and getting rich. And over the arc of the story, he really becomes careful he was he be he cares about the jewish people and he starts buying them out of you know the concentration camps and putting them to work and then paying them and then setting them free it's a powerful story of going from self-centered to selfless uh and i just am moved in tears by the last wow. scene of that movie every time you've either given me a lot of free space when i have it over the next three weeks i've got a crazy three weeks um, or when three weeks is over on October 28th, uh, you've given me a lot of stuff to do with time because books, movies, you are just naming things left and right. That's I, I can't say one of the things I'm going to do though is drive to a movie theater just to get popcorn. That will not be something I add yeah. to the list. But but <laughs> don't blame. Me. Uh, that's fine. I can't wait to talk to Drew about that one with you. So, who was your first celebrity crush? Who did you first see on TV oh. or a movie or 
whatever. And you're like, that's my first celebrity crush. Oh gosh. I had a few. I had a few. <laughs> uh, do you remember Farrah Fawcett? Yeah, everybody uh, does. Yeah. Yeah. Farrah Fawcett majors eventually, but she was stunning. I think every high school boy had poster of her yep. in their bedroom, but she was gorgeous. She was one of Charlie's angels yep. back in the original series on TV. So that would probably be the one. Now, of course, my wife quickly took over sure. and, uh, you know, that's nah, the best she, answer we've ever had. Your wife quickly took over. So, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? So she was. I like how you threw in the Farrah Fawcett Majors since she yes, was married to Lee yeah. Majors, and I used one time at one of our outreach breakfasts. Probably wasn't the one Stephen Mansfield was at. I don't know who was there, but I used uh, to kind of set up my little five minute talk. I used the clip of him in a $6 million man and said, one of our jobs is to rebuild men, make them stronger, faster, yeah. better. And I love the illustration of that from his old TV show. Love that. So that's, that's, that's a, fun. Those I are good answers there. So let's jump into your book, Tim. So you were gracious and sent me a, a copy online and it's a very unique book. It's not like I think anybody who wants to know about diversity, your book is entitled A New Kind of Diversity, that you're just going to go out and find 20 books like that. And you bring about right. the thought that this is one of the biggest challenges and, and things we are facing when you look at all the challenges in the world, us understanding, you label it five generations in a workplace right now. You are very much on top of a lot of things going on in culture and trends and young people, particularly, you've obviously, your Generation IY, I think that's the right title, right, for your book years ago that you did? Yep, yep. So you've been into yeah. some areas like this before, but why this book right now? Well, Jeff, you'd agree, we, we hear a lot about diversity these days, you know, um, ethnic diversity, gender diversity, income diversity, and others, and they're all important. But I think there's an elephant in the room, and it's generational diversity that we just there it is looming in the room, but we don't know how to talk about it. So this big issue exists. So instead we stereotype and make fun. So I don't know if you saw the hashtags, but maybe four or five years ago, we started seeing baby boomers tweet and it was a hashtag, how to confuse a millennial. And it was all in fun, but then the millennials struck back at the boomers. It was hashtag, okay, boomer. Remember that one, mm -hmm. you know? And then Gen Z gets involved with a uh, hashtag, okay, Karen. You know, Karen was that fictitious figure that, you know, was always asking for the manager in the restaurant, you know, that sort of thing. And then hashtag doggo. It was Gen Z making fun of millennials. So millennials are only one generation older than Gen Z and that, but they're duking it out, you know? And then, oh my gosh, the most horrific one, younger people, millennials and Gen Z were posting hashtag boomer remover. And it was a reference to COVID-19. That's horrible. But, um, at first, I started noticing this, and you know, we're all we all know there's different generations working together, but there's far more collisions rather than collaboration, in mm -hmm. my point of view. So this book is meant to be a reference guide. How do we understand that builder generation, those baby boomers? How about those Gen Zers that are 23 or 21 and they're just so unlike me? Jeff, one of the biggest reasons that convinced me I had to do something was there are age discrimination lawsuits now going on in the workplace and by major fortune 500 companies google ibm and others and it's either young people suing their employer because they didn't get promoted because they're too young or older team members that 
are suing because they didn't get promoted because they're too old, you know, and there are, in fact, young geniuses and modern elders that feel like they're not being capitalized on. And so anyway, this book was meant to be a guide, a user friendly guide to really help all generations collaborate and really pull out the very best from each other. So I want to pick apart two of these generations and, you know, I know labels, sometimes you, you reference in there within, if you're in a couple of years, you kind of start going, yeah. but you know, both generations, I spent yeah. a lot of my time with guys in their early mid twenties who are either right out of college, a few years into yeah. their career field. One of the phrases that I like a lot that I would use about you is staying humble and staying hungry. And I tell those guys, the humility part of that is what's key. Cause if you're hungry, but you're not humble, you're up a Creek. And then the guys in their seventies and over the COVID period, not so much because of COVID, but I saw a couple of significant leaders of ours in my world in, in our community in churches pass away a couple others who um, really had some health decline. And I see with a crowd of people in the seventies, either this mindset, which both of them kind of bother me that I've done my thing. It's time for somebody else to take the lead when they're going to live in some of the best years of their life that younger guys could really glean from, or they're like, what do I have to offer? And that's a lie too. And then those 20 somethings who I love to pour into that 20 something to 70 something skipping a generation could be so, so good. But sometimes there's a disconnect. What would you say to guys in their twenties when they look at guys in the seventies and the guys in the seventies saying, I've still got a lot to offer looking at guys saying their twenties. Yeah. Great question. I uh, used a term just a minute ago, modern elders and young geniuses. This term actually was coined by Chip Conley who advises at Airbnb but I think he's spot on. There are people that are older, way past midlife, that may not keep up with TikTok, but we're not looking to them for cues on TikTok. They've got timeless, sage wisdom that the younger generations could really use because the younger are keeping up with the timely, not the timeless uh, all the time. You know, I'm, I'm keeping up on how we could monetize TikTok and use it for marketing our company or whatever. So um, I love the art of reverse mentoring. Reverse mentoring is when these two very divided generations, young and old, get together. They swap stories. We always find something in common when we swap stories, whatever our age. But then the older generation veteran can say, here's some things you might want to know about this organization. This will help you succeed. But then that older person takes off their mentor hat, puts on the... Mm intern hat, you know, in fact, I love the term mentor. We're using that more mentor. We're, we're, we're now learning from the brilliant intuition of that 23 year old or 24 year old that so gets where the world is going. So I, I think everybody gets this when they're listening, but I, I would advise, we do this in our, in our office. We got a team of four generations and we are we are mixing the generations right now and learning so much from each other and laughing along the way because we go, oh, my gosh, I'm such a dinosaur, you know, or, oh, my gosh, I'm such a baby, you know, and it's so fun to be able to laugh with each other rather than at each other. And we're finding we're making progress because we're connecting. I love those terms. Modern, modern, elder. Say it again. elder, 
Yes. And I love young geniuses. And I think the yeah. men turn, I'm going to steal that one and use that like crazy. That is a great one. So I want to hit on your book, which I did not, I've not read it yet, but I've heard you on multiple podcasts talk about it. Yeah. The eight paradoxes yeah. of leadership. Why should people move that? A lot of the people that are going to listen to this are, are ferocious learners. They want to lead better. Why should that move to the top of their list in reading about leadership? Well, there probably are lots of books that maybe should be on top of that one, but but um, let me tell you why I wrote Eight Paradoxes. Uh, first of all, it, it came out during the pandemic. And I feel like the pandemic only accelerated what was already happening. You know, you know, we all said we need to do better technology. So suddenly we had to do better technology. So anyway, I believe we live in a very polarized world, an either or world. And I think, in fact, today, the best leaders balance paradoxes. So uh, let me give you a few that will just illustrate immediately for people what, what I'm talking about. I believe the best leaders are both confident and humble. And isn't it true you often get one or the other? They're either really confident. In fact, sometimes overconfident. You go, Bob, you're not that good. you know. Yeah. Or they're so humble. You go, boy, I love your humility, but I don't think we're going to reach our goal. You're so humble. But if you get them both together, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. So the assignment I give myself on that one is, I need to speak to others as if I believe I'm right. That's confidence. But listen to others as if I believe I'm wrong. That's humility. So that would be one. I think the best leaders balance both their vision and their blind spots. Almost every great leader I hear, they go, oh my gosh, if I'd known then what I know now, I might not, not, ever, I might not have ever started Chick-fil-A. Truett Cathy said that to me. Mm. Well, thank God he did. But he had a blind spot that served him well. You know, thank God he didn't know all that would have kept him from doing it. He, he had this, you know, rookie smarts, you know, in the beginning. So that's another one. I'll give you one more real quick. I think the best leaders balance both visibility and invisibility. Isn't it true, Jeff? There are times when your team needs to see you visibly modeling the way. You don't just tell me, you show me. But there's a time when enough of that has happened and you better be invisible so those younger leaders will step up. I have a case study on every one of these chapters. The case study on this one was Dr. Martin Luther King. Between 1955 and 63, he was a very visible leader modeling the way in the protest and the boycotts and the sit-ins and, and even going to jail on purpose uh, to stir things up. But then after 63, he would not attend meetings on purpose just so a young John Lewis would step up mm. and the, and John would not have said anything had Dr. King been in the room because, you know, we defer to Dr. King. But there was a time John Lewis called him and said, Dr. King, you're not here. And he goes, John, you know what to say. You go ahead and say it. Isn't that brilliant? That's... So these are paradoxes that you and I both know. You got to have both. Mm. It's not either or. So this book is, I, I just spotted eight of them that I think we need to do, especially. Today. So good. So good. So good. Well, let's close with this. These days, where we're living right now, these four emotions, what makes you joyful these days, Tim? What makes you sad? What makes you angry? And what makes you laugh? Oh, that's good. Um, well, joyful, uh, there's a few things. Uh, um, I... My wife, Pam, and I are in a new stage of our marriage, and she just brings me joy. I just I just love her. I, I, I told her I'm, I'm still craving her, and not just sexually. I mean, I just love to be with her. So that's really cool after 41 years. But I'll tell you another thing that makes me joyful. I don't know if you know this, but Growing Leaders is now merging with Maxwell Leadership. 
So after 20 years of doing my deal and building out, I think a fine organization, John approached me and said, Hey, what do you think about merging? And you be the next gen folks at Maxwell leadership. So that brings a lot of joy. Angry. Um, is that what, was that one of them? Yeah. I tell you what makes me angry is there's actually a few that are rolling through my mind right now. (laughs) I, I am angered when different generations can't find a bridge. They only build a wall. It just ticks me off because the old dinosaurs like me, Lord knows we need young people in our lives. But then I got to say, anybody that's young and listening, uh, be humble when you have a new idea. I know you got a great idea, but old ideas are in place because at one point they made a lot of sense, mm-hmm. you know? So I just feel like I just get so angered. I want to shake people. That's a violent act. I'm so sorry about <laughs> that. But when, when they don't find bridges, they find walls and it just, just it ticks me off. And sad, I, I think what makes me sad today is when I find people that are so anxious, depressed, struggling with mental health issues. And I know that's a thing today. That is a thing. And they can't seem to climb out of the hole. I I just am saddened by that. Because for me, while I empathize with that, I have never struggled. I think it's just because I'm from another generation. And remember, I told you I got my mom, got my mom's temperament. So I see the bright side and I find some good, some silver lining in every dark cloud. So I'm saddened by the mental health issues of our day today. And I know we've got to do something about that. Sure. What makes you laugh? Oh my gosh. I laugh at almost anything. <laughs> um, puns. I laugh at puns. I there, uh, I have teammates on the content team at Grow Leaders and we're always throwing puns at each other. So the latest one is uh, one of my teammates said, I had a big argument with my wife last night over the laundry. It went on and on until finally I threw in the towel. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. See, that's so, that's a bad dad joke is what it is. But we, I, I don't know. I laugh at puns and I'm, I'm probably a very typical dad in that sense. Well, at 52 years old, I'm loving dad jokes more and more. I will go and look up <laughs> images on Google and I'll text my boys and yeah. just wait for the reaction and they're thinking, dad, please quit. So stop it. Yeah. Right. Where can people find out more about you? What's the best way to know where to go to get more content information going on with you these days? Yeah. Well, our website is really simple. It's growing leaders. So the site is simply growingleaders.com. And if someone would like to take the assessment for the new kind of diversity, you know, to check out your generational fluency with Gen Z, millennials, boomers, Xers, um, they can go to new diversity book dot com newdiversitybook.com and you'll see the free assessment and it will um, offer some tips to better connect with the generations and you can also get the book there as as well thanks for asking that jeff i appreciate it that is great tim i, I am so grateful for this time i'm honored that you would come on here I'm, i feel deeply invested in uh, i feel like i'm got one of the things we do in the gathering is we do monthly retreats whether they're large small the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, a couple places around us, the Abbey of Gethsemane down in uh, Bartstown, Kentucky. I'm glad I have four of these left between now and the end of the year because I'm going to need time and space to take in all that you've invested in me. <laughs> so look forward to hopefully doing this again at some point. I can't wait to see Drew and tell him some of the stuff you've said about him. Yeah. What a blessing you are, Tim. Thanks for all that you do uh, in the workplace uh, for the kingdom of God. Yeah, I can't say that enough. Well, Jeff, it was a pleasure to be with you. And please tell Drew I said, hey. I will. Have a great day. Good. All right. You too. God bless. 
Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.